What are some things in your life that you eagerly look forward to seeing? I thought about that this week, and there were several things that came to my mind. One, when I was a kid, I remember really looking forward to going to see my first pro wrestling event. And I was going to go see the, the Rock and Roll Express, uh, and I was real excited about that. My senior year in high school, I was in the Oklahoma Army National Guard already, and one weekend of training, we were going to fly in helicopters. And I remember almost straining my eyes to look in the direction of the helicopters that they were supposed to come from, and then almost cheering when I saw them. I remember the excitement of seeing Fort Benning, Georgia when I went to basic training, and then a few months later, I remember the excitement of seeing Fort Benning, Georgia leave when training was over. I remember eagerly looking to the door of the sanctuary as I waited for my bride-to-be to come in to me. The excitement of looking forward to seeing my girls for the very first time and seeing them and how amazing that was. And chances are we all have experiences like this. And there are still many things that, that I, and probably you as well, look forward to seeing. But my greatest desire, it is to see Jesus. I mean, have you ever really thought about how great it'll be to get to see Jesus in all of His glory. I think when we see Jesus, He'll still bear the marks of the cross. But we'll still be able to see the, the marks in His hand, the scars on His head, and even the wound in His side. Can you even imagine seeing Him and seeing those wounds and knowing that they were given for our sakes? Can you imagine seeing Him and knowing that, that we will be with Him in heaven forever because of what He has done for us. It is almost overwhelming to me to think about what it will be like to get to see Jesus in all of His glory. Now, Scripture promises that we can see God. But there is a qualifier to this, and it's a hard issue. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Just looking at one verse this morning. It's page 736 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Matthew 5 and 8. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The title of the message is, A Pure Heart. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come today with a desire to meet with you. Lord, we have gathered here in this place in your name. We have sang your praise and we are now opening your word. Lord, with one hope and with one desire that your Holy Spirit would come and he would begin to minister into us and he would take your word and he would speak it deep into our hearts and he would bring the changes that need to be brought into our lives. Father, the promise that Jesus gave is that those who are pure in heart, they will see you. And God, we want to see you. We want to see you now in this life at work in us and through us and for us. And God, we want to see you in the world to come. And Lord, that requires us to have a pure heart today as we look at what your word says about the heart. Help us to take it very seriously. And God, where your word and your spirit revealed to us that our hearts are impure, let that bother us. Lord, help us not to just... Lay those sort of things aside. Help us not to dismiss it and to push it away. But Lord, let it weigh heavily upon us. Let our hearts be tender and broken before you today in the ways that they need to be. Let your Holy Spirit come and take your word and bring the conviction that we may need. Let him take your word and use it like a hammer to knock down strongholds that we have erected so that our every thoughts could be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
Father, let your Holy Spirit come and take your word and use it like a fire to burn away the, the junk and the dross from our lives, that we would be pure vessels for Jesus, and that our hearts would be purified today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said and done today. Just let me be a vessel that you would work through. Let me be surrendered to your guidance. Have your way in my heart and in my life and in all those that it gathered. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the Greek word that was used for pure in verse 8 is used in several different ways. And each of the ways gives us some insight into what Jesus means by pure. Originally, it simply meant clean, and it could be used to describe dirty clothes that had been washed and cleaned. But it was also used to describe an army that had been purged of the discontented, the cowardly, and the unwilling and ineffective soldiers, so that it was comprised of fighting men who were totally dedicated to the job at hand. It was also paired with another Greek adjective to describe wine that had not been mixed with water or metal that was free of any sort of impurity. So what we could say from this is that pure means something that is cleansed. It means something that is undivided and it means something that is unpolluted. Jesus applies this word to the heart and focusing on the heart is very much a characteristic of Jesus. Jesus knew that the heart was the key to everything in a person's life. Jesus taught us in Luke 645 that the actions of our lives reflect the condition of our heart. What we say, what we do, how we react, our priorities, our attitudes, and our values, they all say something about the condition of our hearts. And knowing this, Jesus wants us to have hearts that are pure. So I thought, what, how would I say what a pure heart is? And, and here's the explanation that I come up with. The pure heart, the pure in heart, have an undivided devotion to Jesus that flows out of a heart that has been supernaturally cleansed. But the pure in heart have an undivided devotion to Jesus that flows out of a heart that has been supernaturally cleansed. Now, when you read the Gospels, you know that it makes sense for Jesus to lay such emphasis on the heart because of the Pharisees. But the Pharisees were far more concerned with how they appeared than what they actually were. This was a major part of the criticism that Jesus leveled against them. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside may be clean also. Now, the Pharisees, they laid great stress, great stress on making sure they were outwardly clean. Now, the obvious reason for this is that the outward is what everyone saw. They worked hard to make sure that when people looked at them, what they saw was someone with a full throttle devotion to God. They made sure that when people looked at them, what they saw was someone that was holy and pure in their lives and in their conduct. They made sure that the outward looked good, even though the inward was very, very different. Outwardly, they looked to be genuinely pure and devoted to God. Inwardly, this was not the case. Jesus said that they were full of greed 
and self-indulgence. And while they would never commit visible sin, the, the idea is that while they would never commit visible sin, they desired the sin and they thought about it often. Now, they might not actually steal to get more. But inwardly, they were consumed with the desire for more and they schemed ways that they could do it and that they could get more that would appear to be righteous. Outwardly, they might not fornicate or cheat on their wives, but inwardly, they were consumed with sexual lust and thought about it often. All of their attention, all of their focus was on their outward appearance. But it did nothing to change who they were in their hearts. For Jesus goes on. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. But inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear to be righteous men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Outwardly, they appeared to have an active, a living and active faith and devotion to God. Inwardly, they were spiritually dead. Outwardly, they appeared to be holy and pure. Inwardly, they were no different than the tax collectors and sinners that they held in such disdain. The point that Jesus is making in these verses is that an outward appearance of purity is not enough. An outward appearance of righteousness is not enough. An outward appearance of devotion to Him is not enough. There must be genuine inner purity. The kind of purity that comes from the heart. The pure in heart, they aren't only concerned about how they appear outwardly. But they are also concerned with how they are inwardly. The pure in heart care about their attitudes. They care about their thoughts. They care about their desires that no one else sees. The pure in heart refuse to settle for merely appearing pure and devoted to Jesus. The pure in heart do whatever it takes to actually be pure and devoted to Jesus. Now, for us to get this, it requires, in many cases, a fundamental shift in the way that we view sin. For far too long, the church has viewed sin as the primary problem of society. And so we have said in our churches, and we have cursed the darkness around us. We have tried to legislate morality and sin out of existence. But as we look at the world, we can see that these methods are utter failures. The world is no better because of legislation. The world is no better because of our criticisms. Sin management always fails. It always fails. And it fails because sin is not the ultimate problem. Instead, sin is merely a symptom of the real problem. The real problem is a heart issue. I've had people tell me, well, I have I have problems with cussing or I have problems with lusting. Well, no, no, you don't have a problem with cussing. And no, you don't have a problem with lusting because the problem isn't your mouth and the things that you say. And the problem isn't your eyes that they ogle and your lust-filled mind. The problem is the heart. The heart is impure. And that impure heart is seen 
in the words that are said, in the thoughts that are thought. Instead of constantly trying to manage our sin, we must see our sin as a sign that our hearts are not pure. Every action we take says something about the condition of our hearts. Every reaction to the stressors of life we take says something about the condition of our hearts. Every word that we say throughout our day says something about the condition of our hearts. Every priority we have in our lives says something about the condition of our hearts. Every thought we think says something about the condition of our hearts. Our lives are constantly talking to us and revealing to us the condition of our hearts. And we must listen. We must listen carefully to what's being said. Because Jesus gives a promise to those who have pure hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart for they. And if I were to add to scripture, you could say, and they alone. Shall see God. The promise is that the pure in heart will see God. And it has a a dual meaning. Part of the meaning, it refers to our life now. I don't mean that we'll physically see God with our eyes. But instead that we'll experience Him in our lives. We'll see His work in us and through us and for us. We'll be able to have a, a legitimate and an ongoing relationship with God in this life. And we, we must not, we cannot underestimate the importance of a pure heart in having a thriving relationship with Jesus. For there is no such thing as living in sin and living in a thriving relationship with Jesus at the same time. It is either we are close to Jesus or we are close in sin. But it's one or the other. Let me show you this in Scripture. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 and, and verse 5. That would be page 941 if you have a pew Bible. First John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. John and the other apostles had received a message from Jesus. They had conveyed to the people that they preached to. Part of that message was that God is, is a light and there's no darkness at all in Him. The idea that God is light is that God is right and true and pure and holy and, and all the things that are right, true, good, righteous and pure. And God is not just partially these things. God is entirely these things. For there is no, there is no darkness in Him at all. Now, the idea of darkness is that darkness is sin. Uh, darkness is all the things that are wrong. It's the opposite of light. And as I thought about darkness and what Scripture says about it, it's interesting. Because Scripture has... I would almost say two categories of darkness, inner darkness and outer darkness to go with the what we're talking about, the inner purity and the outer appearance. And and inner darkness is often seen in having wrong ideas about God. We, We live in a world where people have 
all kinds of wrong ideas about who God is and what God is like. Right? And since purity of heart, it refers to singleness of devotion. Then darkness refers to these wrong ideas about God. People who are walking in darkness. They more or less, they reject what Scripture says about God and they come up with their own ideas about what God is like. And you see it a lot when someone will say something like, well, I believe in God, but. And at that point, they begin to explain what their God is like. And it typically is something that goes against what is clearly revealed in Scripture. So something like this. Well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in a God who says Jesus is the only way. I mean, I, I mean, shout, there's a God, but surely don't you think all paths lead to God? I mean, don't you think that all religions, as long as they make you good and as long as you go towards the light instead of the darkness... They all eventually lead to God. Well, Scripture says, says no. No, it does not. So those sort of sayings, they come from someone who's walking in darkness. Well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in a God who would, who would send someone to hell. I love wins. In the end, nobody goes to hell. It's not even a real thing. Everybody goes to heaven when they die. Well, that's not really what Scripture says. And so... That mindset, that statement, it comes from someone who's living in darkness. Well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in a God who would expect me to hold to old, outdated ideas of morality. I mean, you just pick. Good thing nobody's sitting there. They just got baptized. You just pick. I'll stand back. You just pick an idea, an issue of morality. The Bible says thou shalt not. And there's somebody out there that says, I just can't believe in a God who would care that I did this. I can't believe in a God who would care that I slept around. I can't believe in a God who would care that I did this or that or this or that or another. Well, that's a that mindset that flows from someone who's living in darkness. Well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in a God who would expect me to do something that makes me feel uncomfortable. I mean, in, in all honesty, God just exists to make me happy. But there's just no way God would ever want me to do anything that would make me uncomfortable or unhappy. And, and doing that would make me uncomfortable and unhappy. So I just don't believe in a God who would expect me to do that. Says someone walking in darkness. Well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in a God who would expect me to love those kinds of people. I mean, you know who those kinds of people are, right? You know, Mexicans. Black people. Illegals. Muslims. Republicans. Democrats. White people. You, you just pick... There's somebody somewhere that doesn't like somebody for some reason, and they just can't imagine a God who would expect them to like them. They just can't imagine a God who would expect them to love those sort of people and care about those sort of people. And yet, Scripture clearly teaches that God of the Bible does care about those sort of people, and He expects all those who are born again to care about them as well. So those sort of statements come from people who are walking in darkness. And as scary as that is, that when we come up with these ideas about what God is like, that it shows we're walking in darkness, the more we come up with these ideas, the deeper the darkness is that we walk in. Paul said that although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And the idea is that they had an idea. They, They knew who God was, and they knew what God was like, but they didn't like that. I mean, they didn't like... The idea that, that God would say Jesus is the only way. And so they came up with a, a different idea. That God would just, He would just, Jesus saved everybody whether they knew it or not. Right? That, that just, 
We, we don't like the idea of hell and there's no God that would be wrathful and loving at the same time. And so, so that's not real. So they, they didn't glorify him. They didn't acknowledge him as he was. And as they did, notice what happens. They became futile in their thoughts and their hearts were darkened. Now the picture is that the more they profess these false things about God, the deeper the darkness in their hearts gets. The longer a person walks in these wrong ideas about God, the deeper, the darker their hearts get, the more they push themselves away from God. You know, there's a common idea today that God is essentially whatever we want him to be. Uh, There's even a book about God having a human history that that God maybe exists, but we have all recreated him in our our image. And that's okay. Well, that's just the idea of someone walking in darkness. And the longer such people walk in this darkness and these futile attempts to recreate God, the, the deeper the darkness gets. The reality is God is like something. God is not moldable and shapeable. That we get to make and say, this is the God I like. Now, we can do that. But when I take what Scripture says about God and I say, I don't think that's real. I'm going to put that over here with old outdated ideas. and I'm going to add this instead. I don't fix God. And I don't make God better. And I don't alter God. And I don't edit God. And I don't make God 2.0. What I do is I create an idol that I begin to worship. I depart from God. In the end, either we accept God as He is, as He's given in Scripture, or reject Him altogether. There, there's, no, there's no other choice. We do not get to make God how we want Him to be. We just accept Him for who He is. And a person who makes God how they want Him to be is walking in darkness. And then there's sinful attitudes and actions. Now, this is probably the one we're most familiar with, with walking in darkness, living in sin. Um, But I found out something interesting in my study about darkness and living in sin that goes with what we're saying today. Look at what Paul says. So therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then one's praise will come from God. So there are still sinful actions and attitudes, but he refers to it in the terms of hidden things of darkness and Counsels of the heart, the secret counsels of the heart, really. The things in darkness, those are the things that we do that no one sees. But, you know, it's possible to put on a good front out in public, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's possible to live in the public eye in, in such a way that everyone thinks we're just good and righteous and holy and pure, but but secretly, when no one's around, in the comfort of our homes, we're a very different person. Even if we're not doing things, our, our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our desires, our attitudes are just horrible, right? So the, the, seek, the, the hidden things of darkness, those are the things that the world doesn't see. Those are the things that I'm not doing when I'm having a cuss and fit at Walmart. Because there's 25 items in the 10 item or less line. But it's the stuff I'm doing at the house when I'm having the same thing because I burned the bacon or something else along those lines. Hidden things of light, hidden things of darkness are, it's when I'm out in public and I, I just love my wife and she's the best thing ever. But at home in the darkness, I'm looking at pornography thinking of other people. Those are the secret things. 
of darkness, the hidden things of darkness, the, the secret counsels of the heart. Those are the, the thoughts, I think, that no one knows about. Those are the thoughts when I tell someone, I, I do, I just love you, I'll be praying for you. And inwardly I'm thinking, you're having this problem happen because you're a moron. I can't stand you. Right? Inwardly, we're, we're, we're telling people, I'll pray for you. But I, or outwardly, we're saying, I'll pray for you. But inwardly, we're thinking, I'm not going to pray for you. This is all your fault. You're getting what you deserve. Outwardly, we say, no, no, they're welcome. But inwardly, we're thinking, man, I hope they don't come. Right? These are the thoughts that we think, but we never express. And those things are darkness too. Those things flow from an impure heart just as much as if we did them in public where everybody saw it. Purity and impurity, light and darkness, it isn't based on whether or not someone sees it. I can be the holiest person in Gaiman out in the public and be as sinful as anyone else in the whole world, more sinful than anyone you know, Privately at my home that no one else sees. And that means I'm walking in darkness. My heart is impure. Now why does it matter that we understand this? Because in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness. We lie. And we do not practice the truth. Right? So if I'm walking in darkness. Right? I have these wrong ideas about God. I've got sinful attitudes and actions that are part of my life. And I say, yes, I, these things are there, but I, I have such a close relationship with God. It's amazing how close I am. John says, now, now I wouldn't say it this way. But John says we, we lie. Now, not that we're wrong. Not that we're confused. But we're actively lying. And I think it's because deep down we know that we really can't have a close relationship with a holy God and live an unholy way. And we do not practice the truth. I can't walk in darkness and with God at the same time. It's either or. Either I'm living in the light with God or I'm living in the darkness apart from God. But I can't be doing both. If we believe that we can live in the darkness of sin and in a close fellowship with God at the same time, we are fooling ourselves. I'm not the exception to this rule and, and neither are you. Our relationship with God in this life, it will always be hindered by impurity and darkness in our hearts. But it's not just in this life. The second part of seeing God for the pure in heart is that they will see God in heaven and be with him eternally. Now, the idea of purity being a necessity to being with God, man, it is all throughout Scripture. And, and we don't have time to look at all the verses, but let me just show you two. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Without which no one will see the Lord. Now, how many people will see the Lord apart from a holy life? Well, zero, according to the author of, of Hebrews. 
But it's not just the author of Hebrews that says it. Paul says, for this you know that no, no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Man, God's word is so it's amazing to me. Written thousands of years ago. But it is as relevant to our lives as if it was written last week. In Paul's day, there were a group of people who said sin didn't matter. That God didn't care how you lived. That you could live any way you wanted and and heaven would still be your home. It would be okay. To which Paul responds and says, no, that's really not the case. And when Paul begins to list sins that, that keep people out of the kingdom of Christ and of God, he lists sins that were as common today as they were then. Right? Fornicator. Sex outside the bonds of marriage. Whether adultery or just premarital sex. Unclean. Man, that, just, that is like any sort of moral uncleanness. That is such a broad-ranging term. Covetous. Right? Someone just has this burning desire to see more because covetousness is idolatry. And Paul says that people who, who live in those lifestyles, they have no inheritance. Not, not a minor inheritance. Not they get a little bit, but they lose rewards. No inheritance. None. They're not a part of the kingdom at all. And then Paul warns them, do not listen to those who are telling you otherwise. Do not listen to the people who have empty, meaningless words telling you that sort of sin is okay with God. For it is not. You pick a sin and you Google it. And there is a religious article somewhere telling you why it doesn't apply today. It doesn't matter. You pick any of those, you, cover, you Google it. Somebody's going to tell you why sex outside the bonds of marriage is fine. Somebody's going to tell you why moral uncleanness isn't that big of a deal. Somebody's going to tell you why the desire for more in the American mindset is a good thing and it's not a problem. Somebody's going to tell you why all of these things are fine. God's word and warning is don't let those folks deceive you. They're wrong. That because of those things, what things? Fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, and idolatry. The wrath of God comes upon who? The sons of disobedience. Right? Those who live in those lifestyles, they are the sons and the daughters of disobedience. And apart from repentance and faith in Jesus, the wrath of God will fall heavily and hard upon them. Purity of heart is a a big thing. Without a pure heart, we will not see God. Without purity that flows from the heart and comes out into our life, we will not see God, not in this life, nor in the next. The pure in heart, though, they have a promise, a certainty from Jesus. They will see God in this life and in the next. So the pure in heart, those who have an undivided devotion to Jesus that flows out of a heart that's been supernaturally cleansed, will see God now and in eternity. Those 
who have an undivided devotion to Jesus that flows out of a heart that has been supernaturally cleansed will see God now and in eternity. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. So the question is, do we have pure hearts? And I thought of some questions to ask because it is easy to focus on on outward stuff. Right? So outwardly, we, we may attend church regularly, but, but what is the inner reality of our lives throughout the week? Outside of here in this place, does our do our lives demonstrate a a daily devotion to Jesus? Outwardly, we may appear to be faithful to our spouses, but but what is the inward reality of our thoughts and our internet time? Does it show lusting after others? Outwardly, we may agree with justice and mercy, but what is the inner reality when we're given the chance to be just and merciful? Do we look for reasons not to show mercy? Do we come up with reasons why we don't have to turn the other cheek to forgive? Outwardly, we may agree with the importance of generosity, but what truth does our checkbook reveal? Do we give grudgingly? Or are we, as Apostle Paul writes, a cheerful giver whom God loves? Outwardly, we may affirm that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But what's the inward reality of our faithfulness to share that message with others? Do we find excuses as to why our friends and relatives and associates and neighbors, they're going to be okay even though they don't have Jesus in their life? Outwardly, we may affirm the importance of loving others, but what's the inward truth of our attitude toward those who are very different than us? Do we think hateful and judgmental thoughts toward them? How we answer these questions and questions like them, it reveal whether or not we have an undivided devotion to Jesus that flows out of a heart that has been supernaturally cleansed. We must get our hearts right before we get anything else right. Purity of the heart, it leads to an undivided devotion to Jesus. If we want to see God, this has to be the number one thing we seek, is to have a pure heart. Now, something I've said throughout the message is that the pure heart is one that has been supernaturally cleansed. This is an important part of the process. You and I, we can't purify our hearts. We can cleanse the outside of the cup. But we can't fix what's going on on the inside. Scripture teaches that God supernaturally purifies our heart through faith in Jesus. There is no purity of heart apart from faith in Jesus. This is where everything has to start. I also believe that a pure heart, by and large, is a work in progress. I don't believe there is a once for all purifying of our hearts that takes place. I wish... It did. I wish I could find a scripture that talks about this one great day when suddenly the heart is completely pure and there is no darkness in there at all. But I don't believe scripture teaches that. Instead, I believe that scripture teaches that there is a constant purification of our hearts that goes on through our faith in Jesus. 
God deals with us. He reveals an action. He reveals an attitude. He reveals a reaction. He reveals a priority. He reveals a value or a word that flows from an impurity of our hearts. At that point, our faith in Jesus leads us to repent of sin. And to me, that's an important thing. One of the things we see in our culture, nobody sins anymore. Right now, the Hollywood and politics, they're exploding, aren't they? With people that have done horrible things to others. And the ones that would even admit it, what have they done? I've made a mistake. I've did things that weren't best. When we come to God after He showed us something that reveals the impurity in our heart, we can't come with, I made a mistake. We need to come with, I have sinned. I have sinned against you, O God. Anything less is skimming over the reality. Anything less is saying, I'm not accepting the full weight and the full consequences for what I've done. So when God reveals an attitude, an action, a word, a reaction, a priority that reveals impurity in our heart, we come and we confess it as sin. And we ask God to purify our hearts. To have a heart that is continually being purified, we should pray David's prayer all the time. God create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let's all choose to make this our prayer today. Let's stand as our musicians come forward.